I'm Megan. I'm Christy. And I'm Auntie B. And we are Homebrew Murder Crew. His Ciao. Boom. Sound effects. Cue intro. Hey guys, um, welcome to my closet. Welcome to Christy's closet. closet. Brittany, you're right. Um, I am actually a little bit tipsy. I've been drinking since three o'clock. But can I just mention? Yes. Um, because <clears throat> I think it's appropriate for us three. What the fuck have you guys seen this shit on Facebook about Blockbuster? And they're like, we're rewinding your tape. Yeah. So what the hell do you so think is going like on? Like their web page just kind yeah. of randomly activated. They're again. coming back. Didn't you guys see that? Are they actually? Is it confirmed There's they're a, coming back? Oh, yeah. A rumor that their blockbuster is coming back. But like, are they coming back as a streaming service or? Yeah. Like, like in what capacity? Because I said all a streaming yeah. service. Like, am I going to be able to go to a blockbuster on Friday with my no, box of pizza, get so. a couple of packages of popcorn, no. and get three for what was it? Seven ninety nine. Probably no. not. Um, I think that be like twelve ninety nine. I think with all the shit that's going <laughs> on with like the Netflix drama and how much they're charging, what they're doing with passwords and everything, I think People Blockbuster. Miss it. And like, Wait. remember, you guys, Netflix took out Blockbuster. Okay, yeah. so I think Blockbuster is coming back and saying, "Hey, again, if you guys are like, why the fuck are these girls so like?" hijacked about like blockbuster videos because we all worked at blockbuster video together at the same freaking store job ever so i don't know about you ladies but if if blockbuster is coming back in like a physical form I will quit my day job. No, 100% quit 100%, my day job. Yeah. 100% quit my day job. Because I still oh, have dreams. Work I still have dreams about, like, working at Blockbuster. Right? All uh, the time. I mean, I so doubt weird. that it would ever be the same, whereas, like, I was overpaid and underworked. But, oh, you know what? Yeah. Still, the, the experience true. was there. Well, okay, ladies, before we get into the episode, shall we talk about some true crime news? I think first and foremost, we should probably mention Amber Tuckerell. Yeah, that's yes. a big one. Because they just had their conference on, I believe it was the 16th of March? 16th, yeah. Yeah, because they had the rally and the, yeah. And I haven't but, had a chance to to see it yet. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So we're not even going to go. Uh, we're not going to get into that. No, we're, we're not, not going to get, get into, into it, it because the sheer amount of just what the fuckness that happened during that conference. Yeah. Needs a whole episode. I feel like we also need a little bit of clarification yes, before we, we start talking about yeah. it so that we're not giving out false in Yeah. Misinformation. False, there we go. Misinformation. <laughs> because there was a couple of things that we were a little bit unclear about that. Time. Yeah. But I was right. It was a lot rattled. to take in. And when you got adrenaline going, it's yeah. you, you I watched it take, twice. Yeah. Feel like there's more traction right now after this conference. Which there needs to be. And I am going to say, this is the one last thing I will say on this. And then you guys can take it away or mm -hmm. whatever. Mark my words. There is a serial killer working between 100%. Edmonton, LaDuke, and Calgary. That is what I got out of it too. Was that everything that, with the new information that we got out of that... 100%. Yes. I was like, fuck, there's a serial killer. Yeah. There is I, don't, I don't care what law enforcement says. Killer. I don't care what RCMP says. There oh. will come a day yeah. where you 
and you and yeah. you are sitting in this closet or in my little yeah. nook and I get to say I told yeah. everyone they yeah. need to <laughs> dig deeper into this and they will find other victims yes 100 like similar circumstances I appreciate that you ladies had the chance to listen to it as it happened yeah. um and have a chance to talk about it together and yeah. i'm sorry that i haven't no worries but it is it is a priority for me it's just obviously you no, guys know my percent. <laughs> i would suggest that if you're listening right now that you research it you look it up yourself uh episode three so of homebrew murder crew episode 17 of homebrew murder crew both of those episodes cover the amber tucker case uh one of them is actually an interview with her brother paul yeah. But also keep in mind that some of the information that you are going to hear in those episodes is, is, not, is correct. not correct now. Thanks we will for be covering. Yeah. <laughs> we will be cover we will cover we will do an updated episode what came out of that um that conference. What Moving else is current? On, what else do we have in current events? Well, I do have uh, something that I read in on the Facebook this morning about a 26-year-old man from Essex who was sentenced to 26 years to life in prison for the murder of a 44-year-old man who was seriously assaulted to the point where he succumbed to his injuries. Succumbed to his injuries. Oof. He basically beat the man to death and then showed up drunk at the crime scene when officers were on scene to well, investigate. <laughs> He was holding a bottle of brandy and started to tell the officers that he knew the people that were involved and gave them a play-by-play -play of what happened. Like, who who, but, but who really showed up yeah, is what my question is, right? Yeah. It's like, that's a very Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde yeah, type scenario, right? right? Yeah. Like, they arrested him on the it, spot. Was it sober you that did this? Was it... It obviously wasn't brandy you. Was it beer you? Was it wine you? Was it also methamphetamine you? Like, what, what kind was of it? brandy? Uh, it just says a large bottle of brandy. I just, I would like to There's know that. There's a photo. There is a photo brandy. of him all drunk holding oh his gosh. bottle of brandy at the crime scene. But right. yeah, so he totally fucked himself. So now remember, boys gonna... and girls, if you commit a crime, don't go back to it. So you guys, um... What I want to share is like not really true crime. However, it could be. Okay. Now, okay. I, I know this is going. I know you all have seen this trend going around before and it's quite old. Okay. Um, it recently popped up on my feed again and I participated in it, whatever. But this is more or less like me saying this to help get like our listeners involved. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I love participation. I'm scared. So I'm going to say, first and foremost, before we start, once you guys have Googled your answers, not you two, but okay. obviously, but um, I can't That's not fair. Well, you guys can tell me after. You don't have to email homebrew murder crew at gmail.com. Oh, you don't want our homebrew murder crew at gmail.com. Well, I don't want to read your fucking emails, okay? <laughs> no one does. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> Our email is homebrewmurdercrew at gmail.com. We'll have it in the show notes. You can email us. Um, we'll probably so, say it about 15 more times. Yeah. <laughs> I want you all, our listeners, not you fuckers, our listeners, <laughs> to email me and just your name, like first name is fine if you that, or like a pseudo name or whatever. And then also what your answer to this is. So if you Google... Florida man plus date of birth 
and then hit enter and just email us what the first thing what, that comes, what up. comes up. Kate, so, do you guys want to do this I, right now? Like, am I the only one that hasn't heard about this? I have no idea what you. This fucking... is gonna be good. This is gonna be good. Okay, so you again, man. You, you Google Florida man plus your date of birth in the same line. Florida man. And tell me what you come up with. So, Megan, do I go type first. out like October or do I put numbers? Um, I did like November. Like I typed you out typed November out, so and then I just wrote October. the number. You guys go ahead. Do I have to put the year? No. Just, so just, the, just the, the month of the day, okay? I'll tell you guys mine. I spell Florida. So you just... <laughs> Flow Rider. Okay? Ah, <laughs> there we go. Why is it... <laughs> that deserves Flo a cheer. Flow Rider, Flow okay? Rider. <laughs> you can put the, the birth year, too. No! Megan! Oh. Who just asked this? Megan. I did. You did. Oh. All right, so I'll oh, tell I you mine. <laughs> I got one. I'll tell you mine. Yeah, mine right. is... Florida man accused of stabbing a woman over underdone potato. <laughs> Megan, you're next. Florida man, nicknamed Baby Cakes, caught naked in a chair outside apartment <laughs> complex. Oh my god. <laughs> Baby Cakes! Baby Cakes! Okay, mine is <laughs> Florida man with half a head arrested on attempted murder and arson charges. <laughs> what? <laughs> You ain't got half a brain, you got half a hand. <laughs> Them <Well>. Libras. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, oh my god. god. Also, I feel like this leads into real stories. It does. It oh is. Those are real stories. So you guys, it's like, that's why we're asking, that's why I'm asking our listeners so please if you yes. would, please email us just for a funny thing because i'd like to do a small little segment or we just and read again, them all off yeah again i would just be saying your first name or your pseudo name plus whatever your florida man story is if you prefer to do florida woman that's fine okay, okay you know what? One, i think please. on that i think that's enough uh current news yeah uh i feel like we should <laughs> I think we're sharing one brainwave, right? Brain That's what One day when we get an actual podcast room, we'll like YouTube you this too. So we'll record us because you, you guys see I'm drunk. Cases. We'll all yep. be better. We'll do a seance. Oh, speaking oh of seances. Oh, God, here we go. I love this. That is we're the never perfect gonna get to segue. Oh, shit. Oh, oh, my so get yourself your wine i mean maybe a joint if that's what you prefer i mean oh, i just smoked mine talking to the the i'm talking to the listeners i don't care about you too i can see you them. guys <laughs> <Just> kidding. <laughs> kidding, we I love, love you guys i can see you guys <laughs> i know you're drinking wine and i know i just spoke a drink i am speaking oh, you spilt a drink sipped drink oh, Jesus. Spoke, a drink. spoke a drink whatever you know what i'm so drunk fuck right off i'm about to do this shit okay <laughs> so turn down the lights snuggle up close for tonight's extra creepy episode I love creepy. <laughs> for tonight i will be telling you all about the bizarre and horrifying cases yes i said cases of sisters Tina and Karen Bowen, as well as the unfortunate events that tied them together forever with Priscilla Gustafson, daughter Abigail, and son William, and her unborn baby. Ooh. She just pushed her mouth 
fucking glasses up her nose, bitches. We're getting fucking real. We start our story off with Tina, who is 15 years old, and her sister Karen, who is nine years old, Bowen. The year is 1986 in Pepperell, Massachusetts. Wait. <laughs> I can't Massa- say it either. Massachusetts. Massa- is it Massachusetts? Massachusetts. <gasps> I said it. It's Massachusetts. 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 No, I don't. <laughs> I said it. Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Pepperell. Okay, that's a more fun name. Massachusetts. Thank you. So it's 1986. In uh, late last year, in 85, Tina and Karen's mother lost her battle with cancer. Aww. Yeah, now you guys feel like assholes, right? I do. Actually, that was, well. Uh, so this actually left uh, the father, Frank, to be a single parent to the girls. Now, Frank works full-time as a bus driver in order to take care and provide for his girls. Mm -hmm. This, unfortunately, though, takes him away from them more than he would like, which means Tina and Karen are home a lot of the time alone. That's such, like, I can't imagine, like, how hard that is to make that decision is, like, what is best? Like, either I'm home and I can't provide financially or... I'm away and I can't be there, right? And like, yeah. how old are the girls? Sorry. Tina's 15. She's the older one. Okay. Okay. Karen is nine. nine. Yeah. Okay. So, like, they're both young girls. However, it's not unreasonable to have Leave Tina alone, yeah. watch Karen. But, like, that's a lot to put on Tina, too. Yeah. Yeah. After losing their mother, the girls struggle to cope with life after loss. Of course. Uh, missing her every day, thinking of her every moment. But, of course, life continues on for the girls with school, chores, mm. and, of course, boys. boys. Living without mom is proving to be one of the more difficult things the pair have had to go through in life thus far, oh, anyway. Shit. Tina is your typical 15-year-old teenager. She comes home one day from school, and a call comes in for her from a mysterious boy from a neighboring community. The boy says he got her number from a mutual friend. (gasps) Tina likes how he sounds and needing someone to open up to about the loss of her mother. She uses this mysterious stranger as a sounding board. I know. Do you? You're cutting this story out. I know this story. It is on my list of ones to do. Really? Yes. (laughs) Nowadays, I think it's safe to say that uh, none of us would be answering the phone to a mysterious stranger and being like, oh, yeah, hey, let's meet up and be like, oh, yeah. I barely (laughs) answer the phone. Don't fucking call me. (laughs) Don't call me. But we're in the 80s. Remember? Tina and this boy talk for over a period of several weeks before finally deciding to meet in person. Now, the boy described himself as a tall, handsome, football player type guy. Eventually, the curiosity gets the best of Tina, and she agrees to go on a date with this boy for ice cream. Mm-hmm. Enter Daniel LaPlante. It's April 1986 when Daniel shows up to Tina's house. Tina is very surprised when she answers the door. She is shocked to find that the boy standing in front of her is absolutely nothing like he described himself to be. Which, let me just say, yes, it was the 80s, but hello, still happens now. 
hashtag catfishing. (laughs) So instead of this like athletic jock kind of guy that she was expecting after all these times of talking to him on the phone, uh, her blind date actually showed up disheveled, greasy looking as if he hasn't hadn't had a shower in forever. And he was dark haired with really kind of no really attractive features, according to Tina. <laughs> Whatever you find attracting yeah. the attractive though. But knows? also even like whether or not you find it attractive is like the second you show up and you don't look like how you explained, like, automatically that raises red flags and makes you yes. not attracted to this person. Well, that's because right? that's an instant start on a lie and you're caught yeah. in it. Right. And yeah, so it's just not a good start. So Tina has obviously not impressed but despite her better judgment she does decide to to continue on with the date as to you know not be rude Mm -hmm. (laughs) don't want to be rude the pair go out for ice cream during their time together daniel allegedly took a very weird interest into the details of tina's mother's death much more than just simple curiosity of a friend you know what i mean Mm -hmm. tina later claimed that it seemed as though Daniel was almost obsessed with how her mother had died, continually questioning her about kind of the the goings on of when you're losing somebody, like, what did she feel? Uh, Did she suffer? Like, do you still talk to her? Like, just really weird questions based on the passing and afterlife of her mother. And especially weird to ask when you hardly know somebody. Well, and you've shown up and don't look like how you're said. Yeah, something fishy. Disturbed by his behavior and obviously annoyed that she was lied to, Tina hurries through the rest of the date and decides to return home. She has zero interest in pursuing anything more with this strange boy. That sounds like a wise choice. Good job, Tina. And so for the time being, life goes back to a somewhat normal. And I say somewhat because they are still dealing with the loss yeah. of their mother. Yeah. Now, I want to give you a little bit about Daniel. His name is Daniel J. LaPlante. He's born May 15th, 1970. Uh, LaPlante lived with his mother and his stepfather, while growing up in Townsend, Massachusetts? No, nope. someone else say it. Massachusetts. Thank you. Now, this isn't very far from Pepper Mill. It's like kind of a neighboring community. It would be like an Okotoks to a Calgary kind of thing. Daniel, as a child, was sexually and physiologically abused by many adults in his life, but the biggest offender was his stepfather. Oh, no. He also struggled with school. He was diagnosed dyslexia at a very early age. And his classmates would often refer to him as, quote, creepy. (laughs) 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 Creepy. What the fuck? I'm fucking (laughs) deceased. Creepy and weird, unquote. Good job, Brittany. As a teenager, he was actually also referred to a psychiatrist because of his abnormal behavior, his appearance, and just his basic lack of normal human hygiene. Mm -hmm. The girls continue to grieve the loss of their mother. The empty void she left behind seems to grow every day that she isn't around. The girls start looking for new ways to cope and cope together. So now we're in June of 1986. 
Tina and Karen decide one night while their father's at work to perform a seance in hopes of conjuring up and speaking to their dead mother's spirit. The girls go down to their basement. They take candles and different stones and crystals. And, of course, the Ouija board. The girls attempt to summon their mother. And strange noises start to surround them in the basement. They start asking questions out loud. The knocks seem to be responding to the girl's questions. Oof, that's fucked. That's so freak the fuck out, Avi. Yeah. Yeah. No <laughs> Probably their first time ever doing this. Yeah. Uh, obviously, being young and, and having this experience, they automatically think, oh my God, house is haunted. And the girls blow out the candles and the seance and just try to well, pretend as if nothing happened. And not only that, is like, is this my mom? What? Like, is she here? Or, like, what is this? Is and it- that's what the girls assume at first, yeah. is that that was their mom responding and it was just a little too much for them to yeah. take. Um, because odd things actually start happening in the house almost immediately. Oh, no. Oh, I don't like this. Over the next several weeks, the strange noises continue. More knocking on the walls at all hours of the night convinces the girls that they have now officially summoned their mother and she is haunting their house. One of the evenings that the activity is taking place, the girls get brave enough to respond to the knocking with questions, such as, knock once if you're our mother, Uh, are you evil? The banging continues. In fact, it gets louder and much more menacing. Every occurrence seems to be getting more aggressive, and the haunting also seems to be getting stronger. It starts moving furniture around the house. (gasps) What? Milk is consumed, like a really random thing. Even the ringing of doorbells, like the front doorbell, and then they'd go and no one would be there. I'm not going to lie, I did as a... Yeah. The knocks continue into the late hours of the night, constantly waking up the girls. They are living in an actual nightmare. That's fucked. And it's safe to say that both are fucking scared shitless. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you're probably wondering at this point, where's their dad? Right. Why hasn't he been freaked out yet? And this is where the like it gets really frustrating. The noises only seem to occur when the girls are at home alone. And while everyone is out, so like dad with the girls kind of thing. Like that would be when the furniture is moved, the milk's consumed, etc. Now you have to remember, like with him being a bus driver, he works all hours. So he's always, always at work. So he doesn't hear any of the banging. He also just kind of assumes that anything else is just the girls trying to cope with the loss of their mother. While also just kind of explaining it away as teenage angst and overactive imaginations getting the best of them. Right. He reassures them that none of it is real and that their mother is finally at rest. However, one night, the activity intensifies. Home alone, the girls once again experience the banging and knocking on the walls. This time, it starts sounding like someone's banging on the pipes down in the basement. Never go in the basement, guys. But we're in the basement. Right, we know this. We know this. We know this. But for some reason, the girls grab like a very long kitchen knife and decide to go check it the fuck out anyway. One foot in front of the other, the girls go to the basement. 
All the lights are on, which is weird because they specifically remember them being off. They continue into the laundry area anyway. They're written on the wall in what looks like blood is, quote, I'm in your room, come find me, unquote. That's fucked. Yeah, that's fucking weird. So obviously panic, the girls leave and call their dad in a massive fucking panic. Frank comes home, accompanied with the police, and check out the residence at 93 Lawrence Street. It is discovered that the creepy message written in blood is in fact just written in ketchup. The blame is instantly put onto the sisters. Oh, for fuck's sakes. The girls know in their soul that something is in their house. Mm -hmm. They knew they were not imagining anything or going crazy or having a hard time coping. That'd be so fucking frustrating. Yeah. And then they're thrown into therapy despite all this. Mm Mm-hmm. When they're thrown into therapy, however, and this kind of incident happens, the noises subside for a little while. Mm-hmm. Now, fast forward a few weeks after the catch-up incident. Everything's kind of calmed down a bit. The noises start all over again. And this time, however, everything will escalate so far that there'll be no option but to acknowledge what these girls are fucking experiencing. Good Lord. It's now December 8th. 1986 the girls get their just dessert but in a very horrifying way the trio so dad and two daughters oh all arrive home from running errands tonight frank will be proven wrong and he will come face to face with the malevolent spirit oh so when the family arrives home Frank can tell right away that something is wrong. All the lights in the house are on. The furniture is in complete disarray. And the TVs are blaring. Ooh. Now, I imagine it as they're, like, blaring static because it adds a level, like, an effect of creepiness. He continues to evaluate kind of the scene and the situation and investigate the house room by room. Frank eventually gets to the top of the stairs And on a mirror in the hallway is another message in what looks like blood, but we can assume is ketchup, is, quote, I will kill you, unquote. A knife is also found stabbed in the wall, holding up a family picture. Oh, shit. I don't like that. Yeah. Frank investigates further, moving towards the master bedroom to his complete and utter shock, standing there in his dead wife's dress wearing face makeup, almost like indigenous face makeup, and wielding a hatchet that, by the way, Frank kept next to his bed. Why? Not sure. Okay. (laughs) He assumes is a spirit of his dead wife that has been tormenting his daughters. Oh, my God. Good Lord. The intruder tries to take the father and his daughters hostage in a room, but luckily, Tina manages to escape and run away to neighbor's house. And neighbor uh, Kathy Knapp is Aww. her name. Like and Knapp. she actually calls the police and the police come. Unfortunately, at this point, the intruder has left. Frank and his daughters are unharmed, as well as the neighbor. Since there is no intruder to arrest, the police leave just kind of collecting evidence and statements from everybody. 
unsurprisingly, the Bowen family decided that it was time to stay elsewhere. Good choice. The only positive kind of like, I guess you could say, result from all of this is Frank finally believes his daughter. Yes. That was December 8th. Two days later, Frank would return to their home. So now we're on December 10th to retrieve some of their family belongings. Upon arriving to his residence, he's absolutely gobsmacked to see a face in the front window as he's approaching his home. What? He goes home and the fucking figure is still there in the window. Oh That's my fun. God. Taking absolutely no chances this time. He, do- he doesn't even go into the home. He just called the police instantly. Enter Officer Stephen Bezenson. What he would discover would be truly disturbing. In his search, the officer shockingly discovered 16-year-old Daniel LaPlante. Oh, fuck. For almost a year, (gasps) Daniel had been secretly living in a crawl space between the walls that separated like the toilet from the plumbing kind oh of thing. My like that God. space. Oh, but he had like a hole dug out behind the washer and dryer. How? Where there was like food ra- he just dug it out himself. Like from inside or outside? Inside. The house? Inside. Oh. So he's he could access these little crawl spaces from outside, but it would be like through the vents and through like no. the little basement windows and everything like that. Because he had an actual space behind the washer and dryer oh, where God. investigators found food wrappings oh and everything. God. So he was sustaining himself Jesus. whilst living so, in this family's walls. So photos of this crawl space? Well, there's his actual drawing of it. Oh my fucking god! Yes, which so, I will post. So it. you you could say that he planted himself in that home. <laughs> yes. Oh, good lord! I'm so yes, you could. So Daniel Laplante is the mysterious entity that has been psychologically fucking torturing. Poor Tina and Karen for months. Oh both secretly living in the walls of their house. He would spy on them. Creepy. Move Creepy. things around when they were gone. Eat their food. And do anything like, and everything to just mentally screw Literally, with Tina. that is the most psychological that you can get. Like, yeah, even drinking a carton of milk. Like, moving shit around. Like, even subtly. And pretending like the, to be their oh, dead mom. That's fucked. And from that crawl space to you guys, it was really easy for him to tell when Frank was home and when he'd left for work because he could hear the footsteps, right? Right. So he he would be able to tell when to stay silent and dormant and not do anything. And he would know when to start fucking with the girls. Could you imagine living in somebody's walls? For almost a year. In the in their in between spaces, is there any indication if he went back and forth from well, his yeah, no, home? Well, yeah, no, he, no, 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 he, yes, he lived in the neighborhood. Oh, he was okay. in a neighboring community, right? Okay, yeah. so and he presented himself as a normal boy, right, on their first date, right? But he had access to their home from the outside to these little crawl spaces. Wait, oh, I know, I, got the I have chills. the ick, yeah. 
naturally the family is very disturbed and shaken by this whole discovery. They were completely unaware that they had a stranger residing in their home, watching them during their most intimate and private moments. So this would obviously result in the Bowen family deciding afterwards to get a new start. Yeah. And move. I mean, good, fuck good idea. Who wouldn't? Yeah. <laughs> I'd fucking move. So finally, being dragged out of the walls of the Bowen home, <laughs> Daniel LaPlante is arrested, mm-hmm. arraigned, mm-hmm. and sent to a juvenile facility. I remember he's 16, so there's kind of no option in that. Right. So this would be where he remains for 10 months. That's it. So here's the thing, though. In this 10 months, the courts decide that they actually want to try Daniel as an adult come October 1987. Okay. This is going to prove to be detrifucking-mental, let me tell you. Yeah. Thanks to uh, the lovely justice system, retrying Daniel meant he would actually be able to apply for bail. Oh, shit. So what happens? His mother, oh, no. Elaine, he, she had to pay $10,000. So it was a million dollar bail. Yeah. Holy shit. In 1987. Yeah. Needless to say, no one, including the Bowen family, are thrilled that Daniel is roaming their neighborhood once fucking again. Yeah. Think? It would only be two months after he's bailed out by his mom that Daniel would prove to everyone just how disturbed he really is and commit his worst crime yet. December 1st, 1987. Daniel walked through the woods that separates his house from another community. There he finds the perfect house to rob. But this time he's roaming around with a 22 caliber gun in his hand. Oh, Jesus. Not good. He enters the home of Priscilla Gustafson. Who you might remember from the very beginning. This is now how Tina and Karen and their events lead to Priscilla, her seven-year-old daughter, Abigail, five-year-old son, William, and her unborn baby. Daniel shot her twice in the head. Oh, no. It gets worse. Oh, no. He then takes William out of the closet and into the bathroom and drowns him. Oh, my fucking God. As Daniel was leaving, he encounters Abigail Gustafson who's seven. She's returning home from school. He also forces Abigail into a different bathroom where he drowns her as well. Meanwhile, husband and father, Andrew Gustafson, returns to an eerily quiet house. He starts fearing the worst. He starts searching his home for his family. He first comes across his dead wife lying face down on the bedspread in their bedroom. This was about all he could take, and he runs out of the house immediately and calls the police. Later, when asked why he ran out and only found the wife, he responds, saying, I was afraid that I would find my children dead. Officers John Johnson and George Aho of the Townsend Police Department enter the scene and search the home. 
discovering the children, William and Abigail, in the different bathrooms. While the investigation gets, like, underway, and Andrew Gustafson is coming to terms with losing his entire family, yeah. what's Daniel LaPlante doing? I don't want to know. He's ran away. Well, of course. And is eating dinner at his niece's birthday party. Oh. As if nothing fucking happened. Jesus fucking Christ. This is people. These are, this is human beings. According to court documents, LaPlante was easily implicated in the crime uh, due to forensic evidence. Now we're talking about 1980s forensic evidence. So fingerprints. The police even found the shirt and gloves Uh that he wore to drown the children. Right. In the woods that separated LaPlante's community from Priscilla and well, he just, like, dropped it on his walk. It was all still wet, too, because it was what he was wearing when he drowned the children, right? Right. Dogs could smell it instantly and started yeah. tracking him fucking him. instantly. Yeah. The dog actually stops tracking within just feet of Daniel's house. And not only that... There are sneaker prints that are found running and lead up to Daniel LaPlante's house. These facts, along with other evidence found, gave enough reason to issue a warrant for the arrest of Daniel LaPlante for the triple homicide. Daniel flees and a massive manhunt ensues, leading the police on the largest manhunt in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. In the preceding 20 years, for two days, everyone, and I mean everyone, is looking for Daniel. And they all like, oh, we fucked up. Even neighboring communities have sent their officers to help out. So with all of this assistance, it's December 3rd, 1987, when after a spree of robberies in Pepperell, which you will remember is where Tina, Karen, and Frank are from. Daniel is finally spotted by a witness saying he's hiding in a motherfucking dumpster. Why are you fucking hiding everywhere, you fucking sneaky little... What are you? In a dumpster? This is even worse. When police actually finally find Daniel in this dumpster and arrest him, he's laughing. Like it's a fucking hide-and-seek game. Yeah. What a fucker. And, and like, the fucked heart that this guy is, he's also found carrying the damn murder weapon. What a dumbass. He still has it. What a dumbass. I'm going to say it again. Play stupid games. Win stupid prizes. I love that saying so much. Right? It just fits life so well. Daniel LaPlante went on trial for the Gustafson murders in October of 1988. A jury found him very very guilty and he was convicted three life sentences holy nice all three i think it should have been four yeah because yeah unborn baby yes believe it or not you guys this isn't even the end of daniel's story (laughs) because this motherfucker appealed his in 2017 too so this is recent he was appealing for a reduced sentence. Oh my god, what a piece of shit. Yeah, but luckily, you guys, the judge found that he was not remorseful whatsoever for his crime. So instead, he just affirmed LaPlante's sentence of three consecutive terms 
of life imprisonment. Because what are the... Okay. And so you emphasize consecutive because there's another alternative to no, consecutive, which is concurrent. No. Yes. No. And the difference between the two is concurrent means you serve it all at once. So you if you get a three-year sentence, you're really only serving the one. Right. But consecutive means that if you have following like, continuously, if you have so 25 three years, three years for three, three people, yeah. then it's 75 years in total. Yeah. Exactly. Just for our listeners. Daniel will not be up for parole, you guys, for Good. another 39 or so years. We'll fucking be there. Tina Bowen, now 52, and the main focus of LaPlante's rage, has since forgiven Daniel and doesn't hold any ill will towards him. Younger sister Karen, however, who's now 46, still can't sleep in the dark and is, quote, counting down the days until Daniel LaPlante dies, unquote. They have both decided to move on with their lives and prefer to stay away from social media and the public eye as much as possible. So there we have it. Wow, the bizarre that? cases of uh, Tina and Karen's haunted house and how their malevolent spirit ended up murdering four people. That's so fucked. That's wild. Yeah. Wow. Right? Daniel would be 53 then because yeah. he was a year older than yeah. Tina. Here's hope and cardiac arrest comes into play sometimes. Yeah, soon. for sure. <laughs> I love that. I love that Karen's like, I'm just counting down the days till yeah. he's dead. And Tina's like, I have, I think it's fine. I've forgiven him. Karen's like, no. I can imagine they're never going to truly be able but to that's like, sleep them. at night until he's dead. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was, thank you, Brittany, for that one. Thank you. Yeah, that was that a good was, one. That was great. Thank you so much for bringing that case forward. I hadn't heard it before. Thank you for letting me give this story. It's uh, It's been good to do an episode. I feel like it's been a little bit. And I always. Been two weeks. Always look forward to a night with my ladies. Oh. Boom, boom, boom. You can find us on our socials. We are on Instagram at Homebrew Murder Crew. We are on Facebook at Homebrew Murder Crew. And you can get us on email at homebrewmurdercrew at gmail.com. So send us those emails and don't forget. Yeah, us. remember. Florida man and your birthday. Florida, Florida man, man and your yes. birthday. Send I want to hear them. Us yeah. so, absolutely. It's going to be fun. So thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.